0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Fantastic. Congratulations on such a wonderful and important film. It's already won. I mean, it's, it's certainly been uh, in the running for dozens of film festival awards. And uh, I, I just, I can't. Imagine how much time and effort this film took. How long, how many years was it in the making?
1: It was a little over two years.
0: Two years mm-hmm. long. So before we get too deep into the film, I wanted to ask you about your backstory. I, I gather that you uh, are actually a designer, a graphic mm-hmm. designer. How, and this is actually your first film.
1: My first feature. First
0: feature. Mm-hmm. So tell us a bit about the process of... of uh, your early career in design and graphic design and moving into commercials and then moving into a documentary like this.
1: So, yeah, so I started my career as a, as a designer and, um, and I worked primarily in motion, so motion design, um, and doing mostly graphics. Um, and then I transitioned into directing commercials, so a lot of car commercials... Um, mostly car commercials, um, other commercials too, tea commercials, (laughs) beer (laughs) commercials, um, so a lot of commercials. Uh, Sapporo, Sapporo Sapporo beer? Sapporo, Sapporo beer, yes. Um, So, yeah, so I started my my career as a designer and then I went into directing, but I've always kept um, design and, and, you know, I I still design. Um, And, yeah, that's kind of how I transitioned to this point
0: <laughs> and you're uh, you're you're actually uh working at you're an employee at um, imaginary uh ima- forces imaginary forces mm-hmm. so tell us a bit about their involvement in this film
1: so they produced it um and they let me direct it there <laughs> <laughs> so um, all the production happened the editorial happened there the the um all the graphics were done there um, with a team, as you saw in the credits, a huge team of people. Um, so yeah, so we, produ- we produced the, the film.
0: So you're, you're actually an Emmy-nominated Emmy uh, director for the, for the opening sequences of, of, uh, of Boardwalk Empire and Band of Brothers, right?
1: Band of Brothers, and two for this year, um, Jessica Jones and Vinyl and also Magic City.
0: And so film title sequences mm-hmm. is actually one of your specialties.
1: Yeah, so that's how um, our, our company got their start. I mean, It was formed, I think, in 1995 or something like that. And we got started doing a title called Seven. I don't know. It's an old movie from a while ago. I remember Seven with yeah. Brad Pitt. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of where we, we started, and people started to recognize us for that work. But obviously we we do a lot of it. I mean, it's only like 10% of our business. But, um, but yeah, so... But we love to do them, so...
0: What does that look like? Is there is there similar pre-production involved with the creation of a title sequence? I mean, there's there's some storytelling that is actually revealed in these title sequences. That's right. Tell us a little bit about that creative process.
1: Yeah, so when we work on film titles, generally we work with the creator or the showrunner. Um, and, uh, you know, they... He or she has a vision um, of how what they want to what they want to emphasize, whether it's a backstory or they just want to create a mood, or they want to um, mm. you know tell yeah tell a piece of the story or what have you. Um, sure. So we what we do is we we talk to them and then um, we come back to them with um, boards. So sometimes they, they, they're very free and they, they say, well, just do whatever you want. Like in the case of Jessica Jones, um, Melissa Rosenberg, who's the, the creator, she was like, you know, I just want you to know what the story's about and then just come to me with what you think is, is appropriate for it. So, um, so it's a little bit different than filmmaking because you are kind of the client. Right, right. <laughs> in this case, we have a client. Um, but I think the process is very similar in the sense that you know, um, when I created the film, mm-hmm. you know, we, we always think of the user, right? Or, or the, the, the person that's going to be looking at this piece, right? Mm. And so it's a very intimate process, right? Because we're trying to figure out um, how they're going to view it, how through time and, and how things are gonna unveil themselves. Um, so it's a very similar process in, in, in that sense. And, and, you know, we have to come up with the overall vision for the film or for a main title. So it's similar in that way. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Let's, let's uh, jump into the film. Mm-hmm. So we had, a, we had a great discussion over dinner uh, prior to coming up here. And uh, Discovery Channel, this, this film aired on Discovery in May. That's right. But it, was, it wasn't a commission. This was not a commissioned film by Discovery or even a co-production. This was actually an acquisition, yes. which is quite rare. Tell us a little yeah. bit about, uh, before Discovery Channel, how did the story for this film, where did it initiate, and how did it build to eventually be bought by Discovery Channel?
1: Well, so the story that Daniel told me, the, the co-director on this film, um, he said that you know they, they have a lot of... Um, people that are part of NRDC, you know, people that really believe in their cause, um, one of them being Robert Redford. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he told me this story that, you know, Robert Redford said to them, you guys have so many amazing stories, um, but no one can tell them better than yourselves because you guys know them very well. Right. And in this case, um, two of the, the characters here that you saw... Um, Joel Reynolds, and Michael Jasney, that's been their life's work, is to really, you know, work um, really fighting the Navy in courts to to get these legislations made. Um, These
0: are the lawyers from NRDC? That's
1: right. And so that's really the the reason why this film was made, is because these stories were so important, um, and it was their life's work, and you know they had contact to all these different amazing scientists and researchers
0: so it really came out of NRDC that's right which is interesting to have a non-profit uh, putting a huge amount of money yeah. towards documentary film yeah. uh, So what about um, so Imaginary Forces is clearly a Mm co-producer, and then uh, Diamond Docs you mentioned they're also involved. What was their role?
1: Yeah, so Diamond Docs is actually Mark Monroe, and he's a writer, and he's written for The Cove, he wrote for Sonic Highways, for Racing Extinction, just to name a few. I mean, he's like the documentary writer that if you want to do a good documentary, you get him, get him involved.
0: (laughs) Great writing in, in this film. Amazing. And IFA, International Fund for Animal Welfare. For right. the Animal Welfare. So they are also a partner and a funder? Yes. Okay. So
1: they, they work closely with NRDC, um, and they have a lot of similar missions. As you saw, um, Katie Moore, she is also um, somebody in the film. Um, so we worked with them as well to uh-huh. create the film.
0: Very cool. Are you able to tell us what the budget was?
1: To be honest, I forgot. You're not sure? <laughs> really? I just worry about the creative. Yeah, <laughs> the producers
0: you, worry about the money. As you should. Yeah. Uh, I loved the line. I just have to say that there's a line in the film from Chris Clark that the, mm-hmm. that the, ear, the ears are the opening to the soul yeah. of the whale. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's, there's so many poignant moments that you capture in this film. Uh, you mentioned that in an interview that you didn't want to overuse beautiful shots of whales in the film. Mm-hmm that uh, it was kind of like a museum filled with beautiful paintings. We didn't want to inundate our audience, so we held back. Yeah. Talk a little bit about holding back beautiful images of whales. What, what, how, how did that contribute to the audience's enjoyment?
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, initially when we, when we first started this process, um, my editor, Christopher Johnson, he um, has worked on a lot of documentaries before, And he had these very wide vistas of of oceans and you know, whale after whale after whale. Right. And I always um, I think of of design in in the same way that like when you go to a museum and you see a hundred beautiful paintings, like Mm. you leave satiated but you don't remember any of them because there's so many beautiful paintings there. So I said to him, We need to hold back and pick our moments Of when we have them. Actually, he snuck more in than I wanted. I noticed in this (laughs) cut there's a couple more in. This cut there's a little more. Um, So yeah, so that's my my philosophy. I think, you know, in design we we say less is more. Less is more. And um, I think it's true in in filmmaking, right? It's like you have to make those moments um, poignant enough so that people really pay attention to them.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, there's lots of animation in this film, lots, mm-hmm. of, lots of graphic pieces. High background. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's clearly right up your path. Uh, so we use gla- you, you have said that you, we use graphics to help our audience visually understand complex ideas. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about how you make the decision of when to use graphics or animation as opposed to live-action filming. I mean, sometimes you just fundamentally can't shoot something like... Right. Those beautiful uh, patterns of the ships crossing the oceans and right. the exploding uh, circles from the seismic, uh, but how do you how do you make that decision of when you 're going to use animation as opposed to live action
1: Well, on the onset of, of doing this film, you know I really felt that um, bringing in a younger uh, generation to, to view this film was really important like, I think My generation is probably the one that caused all the problems. (laughs) So I think it's the younger generation. And well, hopefully we will help them too to to help um, solve these problems. And so I know that their viewing habits are very different than someone like me. Um, Luckily, I have a lot of millennials that work with me. So I would bring them in the edit room. And when I started to see them doze off, um, we would, you know, try to... Try to fix that, sure. and, and I think you know things move faster now, I mean, even if you look at old movies, right it the way you remember them in your head versus watching them now is, is very different, right? sometimes you can't sit through an old movie anymore right. because we're so used to things moving so quickly, yeah, so I think that was part of it. I wanted to keep the attention um, going, and then also um, again, like you said, some complex problems are not easily understood mm-hmm. and so sometimes graphics helps tell those stories in a very engaging way and we always say that we want to make the complex simple and I also think that if you understand the problems that it's easy to repeat them and so it becomes viral in a way and so that we can help fix the problem sooner if people are talking about it I mean I think that's the whole message of this movie, it's like no one knows about it because it's an invisible problem. Mm. So if we make that visible, the problem visible, then people will start to help change. I was
2: curious as to uh, the decision to, uh, I guess, limit the number of scenes portraying whales in their habitat, but uh, conversely, the inclusion of various... Uh, stills and scenes um, of rather um, traumatic visual imagery. Um, you know, we see some uh, rather morbid scenes during the film, and I'm just wondering, you know, how do you decide uh, what's appropriate to include? You know, to connect with a particular audience. You know, when when we see, I think, on the television um, or on any screen. Um, sort of graphic images we tend to have a more visceral response and so I'm wondering um, how do you decide that those should be included as opposed to more images of healthy presumably healthy whales mm-hmm. in their natural habitat
1: I mean I think we, we actually really held back on, on some of the gruesome images um, there were some that I fought to keep in there, I thought they were important um, you know I don't think that Showing gruesome images necessarily um, evokes an emotion. I mean, it does evoke an emotion, but I don't think it's always good to have it in there. But I think in this case, because it worked with the story, um, I thought it was appropriate. Um, I, you know, I think the, they're quite shocking, right? The 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 one with the orcas that you know is. You know, you, you don't forget those those images. And I think, um, yeah, I think it worked for the story. Um, again, it's the same thing about having too many beautiful animals. You don't want too many dead animals. Mm. I mean, and and this problem really, um, you know, we, we show about the beachings, right? A lot a lot of beachings, you know, which is kind of the thing that gets the attention um, of people. But uh, really it's, they call it like a death by a thousand cuts, right? You know, the shipping where it's like that constant noise, right? You don't see beached animals from that, but they start to, you know, not be able to find a mate and, and they can't find their food and, and they get skinny. And, and there's been some documentations of, of that. Um, so the NRDC actually made me hold back on, on those gruesome images a little bit more than maybe I wanted, but. Um, I don't know if it was shocking to you. Too shocking to you. Hopefully not.
3: I I appreciated the film too for a great deal, and uh, was particularly happy that there was at least a small section of the approximate hour devoted to ideas about possible solutions. Thank you for that. <laughs> not all documentaries include that. <laughs> But I was glad to see yours. And I could have stood a few more graphic images of uh, dying animals because uh, it would help reinforce the idea that the artwork and the animation gave us of how extensive this whole thing was. I mean, the most dramatic moment uh, in the film for me was when you showed the overlay of a shipping I don't know if it's container ships or what, but anyway, of industrial shipping and the, and the ORCAS yeah. sounds, the communication they're doing. In this channel, Santa Barbara Channel, you may or may not be aware, and Mr. Henren, I think, is aware of the fact that we have tried an experiment using the Channel Islands National Marine Sanctuary as a basis to form a cooperative approach with some air pollution control districts in Ventura and Santa Barbara to subsidize to a small amount it's an honorarium really shipping companies that would reduce the speed of their ships in this stretch of land from a uh, stretch of ocean from the channel at point conception down to their port of entry which is usually long beach or los angeles and it's um, it's money well spent, it turns yeah. out. I wished only that the documentary had more information about how reducing the ship speed could also reduce the noise. One sentence is all I heard. Maybe I'm mistaken and I missed something. Please correct me.
1: It was a lot of information to get in a short amount of time in the documentary, but the, you know, we actually have a longer version, um, a slightly longer version um, that includes some spokespeople from, from the Navy um, side that, w- that was aired on Discovery. Um, but we do also have a website called sonicsea.org, and you can find out more information.
2: Hi. Um, Hi. I just wanted to um, ask you about the one sequence where you guys had the three gentlemen talking about their experience meeting a whale for like the first time. Mm-hmm. I just want to know more about like, how you guys planned to create that sequence as well as like the editing that went
1: into it. So, um, you know, early on, you were saying that you have to make decisions along the way and prior to creating a documentary. And I knew that we were going to talk to a lot of scientists. And, I, uh, you know, I'm fascinated by scientists, but you know, sometimes they're they're scientific. They're very they're very a little dry. Pretty dry. So um, that was one question that I asked. Each person that I interviewed, that we interviewed, I really wanted to get some emotional sense from them because people don't do the work like they do unless they love it, right? Right. And so I, I knew that they love these animals, right? So it was, that was um, decided very early on. Now, the way we cut it together wasn't decided until we got in the edit room. And that was really the, the work of, um, Christopher Johnson who who came to me and he said, Okay, I did it together and it was very choppy and, and I loved it. So I said, Yes, that's the way we'll do it. <laughs> um
0: I was just wondering, you've mentioned a couple times that the problem is is like uh not not seen out of mind. Um and in the film it seemed like there's only a couple instances where anyone any of the shipping or oil companies addressed the issue? Was that just because it largely is kind of just ignored by those companies or was that an editing decision?
1: No, I, I you know, the shipping community really does want to make a change and, and we had a spokesperson from there, Kathy Metcalf, because she understands not only she, we need to preserve the health of the ocean, but, you know, that really for them, it's a cost issue mm-hmm. and it's a win-win for them if they go slower or if they change the design of their ships Um, the oil companies we were unable to get interviews with um, but we did try and the Navy we have in the Discovery version or the one that was aired on Discovery does have that inclusion so the screening was made prior to to those um, interviews
0: I noticed that one of the last sentences in the film is, it's not science, or it's not, I don't want to get it wrong, but it's mm-hmm. it's not about science. And then he says something like, I mean, it is a little bit, but it's not entirely about science. And since it is a very scientific topic, and a lot of the people, like you said, they have PhDs, they they study these things. And I noticed that there's a lot of areas where you probably could have let the biologists go on and on and on, but you um, kept it pretty... Um, attainable for someone who doesn't understand the science and even the anatomy of the animals. There's a few MRI shots and whatnot, but you don't go too far um, into that. And was it difficult um, getting those scientists to communicate in that way or was um, it something that you decided afterwards to, to leave out?
1: Yeah, some of them that go on and on. <laughs> we had just edited it out. But um, yeah, that's part part of the the goal, right? To make this um, accessible to everyone, and so that you under- everyone understands it. I mean, I think if I can't understand it, I can't understand a lot of things. So, <laughs> I think uh, if if I can't understand it, then it ha- I have to make it in a way that I, I will understand it. Um, but that scientist, um, Christopher Clark, who who did say that, you know, I think what he was really saying is, you know, we have a lot of science already that proves that this is happening, and there are some people that keep saying we need more science to prove it. We need more science to prove it, but we have enough. And even if they think it's not enough, it's like you have to look at what, what so far, what's happened and say to yourself that you, you know, we want this ocean to be living, you know, we, sadly depend on it too you know i mean Mm -hmm. selfishly we 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 depend on the ocean you know the amount of oxygen we get from it the food we get from it and and those animals are just so amazing and and you know when you see one of those whales um it changes you i don't know if you've ever gone on a whale watching tour i'm sure maybe you guys see them out here but you know (laughs) it's it's quite impressive
0: What part of the of the so given that this is the first time that you've you've directed Mm -hmm. a feature film, Mm -hmm. what part of the process did you love, and which part of the process are you pretty sure you don't want to have to do again?
1: Uh, It's a lot like design in the sense that you know I think as as a designers designers are usually very curious people, and so I think I'm curious Uh and I love learning about these new or meeting scientists or you know mostly learning along the way sure um so i love that part of it and to be honest i don't know if there was a a part that i didn't love um i probably loved it so much that i'm moving my career maybe more in that direction really so um so yeah i don't i don't i can't think of a bad part (laughs) Thank you for the film because it was really important and beautifully done. Um, how do you get it more widely distributed to the general public so that you know people can really become aware and, and make a change? Right. Um, so, as Michael was saying, it was on Discovery. It's going to air in Discovery Canada this month, um, and it was on Animal Planet, and they're also going to put it in schools. Um, The NRDC is working with um, the company to organize that. And then I'm not sure about the digital distribution yet. Maybe it will get on Netflix, hopefully, or some Amazon, maybe.
2: I have a question regarding the interviews. I noticed that uh, maybe about half of them seemed to be still on a tripod and the other half seemed to be, uh, I don't know if it was handheld, but it wasn't uh, stable. And so I'm wondering if that's a decision you made beforehand going in, if you knew you wanted some uh, interviews to be like that or if you had two cameras on them and you made it uh, after in a, a decision to portray the character a certain way or get more of a like a, a human feel to them? I don't know. Um, yeah, so that's what I'm kind of wondering about.
1: That's an awesome question. Uh, no one's ever asked me that. and never knew that people noticed that. <laughs> um, so some of those interviews were done prior to me getting involved, and those are the ones with the static camera, the locked camera. I wanted to have a little bit more of a handheld feel because um, I wanted it again to feel more intimate and that was kind of the, the overall design direction, that, the creative vision that we created after a few of those interviews had already taken place. Mm-hmm.
0: Would you, uh, just as a last point, do you have any advice for the young filmmakers that are in the audience of how to one day direct an award-winning documentary? <laughs>
1: Um, Well, I think pick a a subject that you love because you you live with it for two years or more and um, persevere, I guess. I mean, I think that's all I really can say. That's a good word to end on, (laughs) perseverance.
0: Well, listen, thank you so much. Congratulations on a fantastic film. Thank you for having me. Thank you, audience, for being here.